Mac Power Users, Episode 513, Catalyst Apps on the Mac with John Voorhees. Welcome to another episode of the Mac Power Users. I am David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Uh, we're talking today about Catalina and specifically Catalyst apps. Uh, so we thought we'd have the Internet's uh, favorite Catalyst expert on the show, John Voorhees. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I guess I'm the favorite and maybe the only. I don't know. But, but <laughs> I, I appreciate the introduction. It's great to be here. Well, you really took the bull by the horns over at Mac Stories when uh, Apple released this this concept of, hey, let's get iPad apps over on the Mac. And and honestly, I was more optimistic about it when it started than we've had up until now. But we're going to talk about that during the show. But there has been a steady diet of new apps coming out that are uh, built around Catalyst. And since you've spent so much time covering it, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some of your wisdom. Sure thing. Before we get started, go ahead and sign up for that MPU newsletter. If you haven't already, we'll put a link in the show notes. Lots of people are liking that. You get all of the uh, links from the episode and the information on the episode comes out the same day as the episode. So it's kind of nice having that in your inbox. John, I mentioned briefly you're working over at Mac Stories, but you do um, you do a lot of things over at Mac Stories. Yeah, I've got a few different roles over there. I mean, obviously, I'm writing day in and day out with Federico and Ryan. Uh, I also do a podcast with Federico called App Stories. So one of the things we've done a couple of times now is talk about Catalysts, uh, Catalyst apps on that show. Um, and, you know, we we run Club Mac Stories, which is our membership program, a subscription a subscription service for people who want even more of the stuff we do. So, yep, I keep myself busy with all those things. John also is a, a rescue person. So when we were all at MacStock together this summer and my <laughs> flight on the way home got canceled after it got delayed, like delayed, delayed, delayed. And so I had to call John, be like, hey, uh, I don't have any clothes or anything. So the suitcase is gone, but I'm still in Chicago. Can I stay with you a night? And you were very <laughs> gracious to host me uh, for extra night in your home. And uh, so, you know, I'm not saying that anyone who gets stuck in Chicago, you would rescue, but you rescued me and it meant a lot. Well, it was it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit our house is kind of a Relay FM halfway house in that sense. You, know, you, get, <laughs> you get stuck in Chicago. You know, you don't know where to go. You're on the street. You can you can stop by my house. That's yeah, fine. That's fair. <laughs> well, that's that's good to know. I, I seem to get to Chicago a lot, so I'll, I'll definitely All right. show up one day with my luggage. <laughs> this sounds good. Maybe you'll be next, David. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about Catalyst when we did the Catalina show. And first of all, why on earth did they name it Catalyst the same year they're releasing an operating system called Catalina? Why did they do that to us, guys? It's really hard. I know that when I wrote my Catalina review on Mac Stories, I wrote, Catalyst and Catalina interchangeably mm -hmm. so many times, and I was sure there was going to be a mistake in the final draft. But uh, yeah, it's it's very hard to keep the two straight. Apple did; uh, they, they've sort of shifted their language. They call it Mac Catalyst now, and I wonder if it's right. because of this confusion. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that being the case because it is a little hard to keep them straight in your head. But uh, Catalina is the operating system, and Catalyst is the technology, I guess. And what does the technology do for the folks that, that aren't up on this? Yeah, so 
you know, Mac apps are built with something called AppKit, which is a set of frameworks for building Mac apps. And when iOS debuted 11 years ago now, it was based at its core on OS 10, now Mac OS. And but but over the year the years, those things grew apart. And you know, iOS is UI kit, and that's how you build those apps. And so what Catalyst is designed to do, it's to bring these two things back together to some degree. So you can take UI kit apps that are built on the iPad and bring them over the Mac. So that it's simplest uh, top level viewpoint. That's exactly what it is. You have an iPad app, you can bring it over to the Mac. Now, you know, it was interesting when this was debuted at WWC in June. If you just sat through the keynote, you might be under the impression that all you had to do was check a box. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you check a box and you've got a Mac app. It's really not that simple. And I guess, you know, to Apple's credit in the, in the developer uh, keynotes later in the sessions, it was explained that, yeah, it'll run, but it's not necessarily going to look like the best Mac app ever. You've got to actually do some things to make it more desktop compatible. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I think may have come as a bit of a surprise over the summer to a lot of people is that it's not, this is not just an iPad app dropped onto your Mac. You can do that, and there were some apps at launch that were a little like that, but to really have a good app on the Mac that's coming over from the iPad, you have to do a lot more work. And as I understand it, the challenge for developers isn't the underlying program logic, like doing the math and programming 2 plus 2 equals 4. You're going to have virtually the same code on an iPad and a Mac app, but the difference is that user interface, that UI. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And the point of Catalyst, boy, I almost did it. The point of Catalyst is to simplify the process of getting the user interface from iPad, something that's iPad friendly to something that's Mac friendly, but you're right. I mean, like one of the prime examples was in Apple's own apps that they shipped a year ago. The date picker was that same stupid date picker used on an iPhone where you scroll the dates with your finger, which makes total sense on a device you use your finger for an input and no sense at all on a device that uses a keyboard and mouse for input. Right, exactly. And unfortunately, that's still the case. I mean, that date picker is still there, even with Catalina out. And that's, you know, that's, you know, when we talk a little bit more, I guess, later in the show about some of the issues and problems, that's right there, because that is not a UI that works particularly well on, on the Mac. And what that means, though, is that if an iOS developer wants to bring over an app with a date picker in it, they really have two choices, they can use that, uh, that iOS style, you know, Tumblr date picker UI, or they can build it from scratch. And I know James Thompson, when he made his Dice app, which is on iOS, and he brought that over to the Mac, he re-implemented some, not date pickers, but other type of, you know, option picker type of UI that is standard on the Mac, but he didn't have it accessible to him in Catalyst. So he had to, he had to kind of build that from scratch, which is not ideal, especially when the whole idea, you know, the part of the point of Catalyst is to make this easier to bring these apps over to the Mac because there are a lot of powerful iPad apps that exist that weren't being brought over to the Mac, in part because, I mean, you got to look at this, I think, from a, a historical context. 
there are so many more iOS developers now, both on the iPhone and the iPad, than there are Mac developers, that you're most likely to find a developer that knows how to do iOS, but not the Mac. And it didn't always make economic sense, strategic sense, other things to bring an app over to the Mac. And as a result, you know, it just wasn't happening. And so the point of Catalyst, in part, is to make that whole process easier to kind of jumpstart bringing more apps onto the Mac. You can see how Apple got to that decision, right? You mentioned this huge library of iOS apps, but on the Mac side, it feels like the the number of new applications or applications that are really having a lot of investment made in them, it, it may be slowing down. We we still have the big players from Apple, Adobe, Microsoft, and there's still some good independent Mac apps. But three or four years ago, it was pretty bleak. I mean, just I just think about my cover or my reading of your coverage at Mac Stories. Uh, for every, you know, five, six, 10, 12, 15 iOS apps y'all cover, maybe there was one new Mac app. And I'm sure Apple right. saw that going on in the ecosystem and wanted to really make sure that the the Mac software ecosystem could remain vibrant and energetic and and not just be completely left in the dust by the iPhone and iPad. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. And it's kind of a topic that's hard to talk to a lot of Mac users about because I think a lot of people have apps that they've used for a long time that work really well for them. I mean, I know I'm that way. I've been using the same set of apps on my Mac for a long time. And so if you look at it just from your own, you know, local perspective on, on an app and the apps you use, you may not see a problem, but you know, at Mac stories, we spend every day of the week looking at the app store both on iOS and the Mac. And people will ask us, you know, why don't you cover the Mac more? And it's because there's just not as much. There's there's fewer apps. There's less diversity in categories. Um, there's less innovation. There's less new stuff. It's just not as much there. That's not to say that the Mac is in crisis or that there aren't good apps on the Mac in the first place. And this is why it's a hard conversation, I think, to have because, you know, there, there tends to be this thing, especially when you're talking about the iPad and the Mac, of people wanting to pick sides and feel as though one should win over the other or that, you know, by saying that the iPad's doing well, somehow the Mac's doing poorly. And it's kind of not about that. It's really about these two different ecosystems meeting in the middle And one thing that gets lost, I find, a lot in this conversation is that I think Catalyst is designed not just to help the Mac out, but also to help out the iPad. I mean, the iPad has taken a a long time to really get going and really become a professional tool. And there are apps on the Mac that would work really well on the iPad, and they're not there either. And by kind of tying these two platforms together, you're giving developers an incentive to build the underlying code that can work on both platforms and an easier way to implement the UIs that work on those two different devices, which are very different devices. And hopefully by doing that, not only do some of the iPad apps come over to the Mac, but there is a bigger pie for people who want to build a Mac app and also market it to people who use the iPad. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where I see Catalyst going. Well, one of the things I like about the existence of Catalyst is it's a response to the argument that Apple doesn't care about the Mac anymore because right. this is a lot of work to put this together. And we were observing from the outside that we weren't getting a lot of innovation and, and progress with Mac software. 
Well, you know what? They were too. And this took years to develop. So this has been in the in process for some time. But they do have an answer. And they, they are trying to keep the Mac a viable, invigorated platform. Now, I guess the question is, have they succeeded? Yeah, that is that is a good question. And I got to say, when Catalina came out, I was a little disappointed because uh, there are a lot of factors at play here. But Catalyst was not... Uh, there weren't as many Catalyst apps as I had hoped to see at launch. And there are a bunch of things at play there. One is that, you know, iOS 12, we really had just a maintenance release. It was all about making it more performant, faster, fewer bugs. And so a lot of features got put off to 13. And then 13 was also a pretty buggy release through most of the summer. And so a lot of iOS developers who might bring an iPad app over to the Mac didn't do so over the summer. And that was in part because they had their hands full dealing with iOS 13, whether it was features or bugs or whatever. Um, So, you know, we didn't see a ton of apps come over initially. Apple also has not done really a great job with its first party apps. You know, two years ago now, we got stocks, voice voice memos, news, and home. And they all leave something to be desired. They have very non-standard UIs that don't. I'm going I'm to try to avoid saying Mac-like because I think Mac-like is a very loaded term. I think from a design standpoint, you know, there are designs that are appropriate for desktop and designs that are appropriate for touch, and they're not the same. Um, and when you bring things over from the iPad to the Mac, you have to deal with things like a pointer and, and like the calendar picker and things that we talked about already. And those apps, those initial apps from Apple, did not do a fantastic job of fitting well with the other apps on the Mac. Now, with Catalina, we saw two new ones. We saw Podcasts and Find My. And Find My is pretty basic, pretty simple app. So it's not a super great example. But, but Podcasts is very much like, for instance, the Music app, which is a native app kit app that was built on the Mac. And the problem, though, with Podcasts is that it's using some, some uh, private APIs. It's using things that are not available to third-party developers to make it fit in even better on the Mac. So, you know, you kind of combine those two things, that there aren't super great examples of system apps that can be used as examples by third-party developers. They had their hands full already dealing with bugs and other features in iOS 13. And then Apple has done a pretty poor job with documentation and sample code. There, there's been some improvements in that since Catalina came out, but it's still pretty sparse. And all of those things combined had kind of left Catalyst in a weird place, especially when you also consider, you know, we had all these other things come out at WWC this past year, including Swift UI, which is a whole other uh, technology for building UIs on all of Apple's platforms and is very much in its infancy. Yeah, I mean, and we're going to talk about that towards the end of the show about the future of all this because in a lot of ways catalyst is a short-term answer and swift ui is the long-term answer but the the word we've been hearing i know steven and i from talking to developers is that um because catalina has been buggier than normal that a lot of developers just put a pin in catalyst and said okay once catalina settles down then i will look at this whole catalyst thing Right. And I think that has delayed a lot of apps getting this transition. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And there, there are just certain things that aren't available in Catalyst that you can get in AppKit. I'm not familiar with all of them, but there's little things like, I know it's not it's not super easy to do tooltips, for instance. You don't have access to the camera. There are a lot of different things that aren't there that are pretty straightforward if you're a, a traditional Mac developer. Well, so it's been a little bit of a challenging launch for it. And... Um... Uh, but there are some apps that have that have delivered the goods already. Some of them uh, pretty well, and some of them pretty poorly. <laughs> the, uh, but I think it'd be important for us to kind of go through some of those. But but before we get into the details, what app, what types of apps do you think most make most sense for Catalyst? Yeah, so I, I think Apple was right when they introduced this. That it, the kind of apps that are best for Catalyst are if there's an iOS developer that has an iPad app and doesn't have a Mac app. That's a good, that's one good scenario. Another one is where there, a developer has a Mac app, but it has not been actively maintained. And that, you know, we saw a lot of that with iOS apps that moved over to the Mac. And then, you know, the developers had a hard time kind of balancing and juggling, updating one versus the other, because they're different enough that they were, couldn't really be done in tandem. And Catalyst is designed to try to rectify that. Those two are are pretty are pretty good cases for it. I think if a developer already has a Mac app that's built with AppKit, there's less of a reason to do that. And I know, for instance, James Thompson, who makes PCalc, had come to the conclusion after he looked at Catalyst initially that he wasn't going to do PCalc just yet because you know he already had an AppKit app, right? And so he he went ahead and and use dice as kind of a a way to learn catalyst for himself because it was a simpler app and one that wasn't on the mac yet which makes a lot of sense to me but i think he's got his eye on it would like to kind of migrate there maybe in the future it's be interesting to see what he does there another category that's not particularly good are games because one thing you cannot do with catalyst is get the touch events from a keyboard like understand when someone lifts up on a key uh, those kind of things, which are very standard in Mac development, aren't available. So if you have any kind of game that uses the keyboard, which a lot do, it's very hard to design the gameplay to work the way you would expect to on on a typical PC game. There are a few games that are built with Catalyst, but they're not the kind of games that require keyboard input. Yeah, I remember talking to a friend that has a pretty well-known Mac software company that also makes iOS apps. And I asked him right after all this, how are you going to do Catalyst? And he looked at me like I was insane. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we built a Mac app. It's a beautiful app. Why would we do that to it? You know, but, but at the same time, that company I know is looking very seriously at Swift UI because that, I think they see something in the future for that. And there have been a few Mac apps. We've got a couple on our list. We're going to talk about this episode that we're on the Mac already and their new versions are right. Catalyst apps. And in those cases, we're going to talk about Carrot Weather and Good Notes. You know, their Mac apps were yeah. older, they hadn't been updated, or they were, you know, not not as good as they could have been. And so for some developers, I think it does make sense to sort of get rid of the old Mac app and use this. But I think it's going to be down to every developer and, and their situation where their app is and if the pros and cons work in their favor or not. Yeah, the ones who made a Mac app in the past as an afterthought, who really didn't have time and money invested into it, um, it can make a lot of sense for them. Yes, if if they can make this work, because then they they're really only developing one app. 
Right, exactly. With a huge asterisk next to it because <laughs> because the UI does require additional work. And I guess that's the point we're making is it's not it's not the check the box thing and you get a Mac app. It's right. it actually takes work and and that's um well the, the, <laughs> we're going to talk about money and app store economy too later in the show because that strangely is a part of this, but but just as a user you should understand if you want good catalyst apps that the developers are doing a lot more than clicking a box to make that happen. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Uh, go ahead and get your discount for 1Password. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get a great discount on your subscription. And this week, I'd like to take a moment to talk about 1Password for families. We're right now in the midst of the holidays. We've digested our turkey. We're working towards the year-end holidays. It's a lot of time to spend with your family, and one of the things I like to do with my family at the holidays, because I'm a nerd, is talk about password security. I am not kidding. I'm not being paid to say this, even though I kind of am. Um, I like talking to my family about password security, because they don't understand. There's a bunch of people in my family that get really confused. They get suckered into things very easily. And this is a solvable problem with 1Password. With 1Password, even the most novice user with the least amount of training from you, the resident family nerd, can start having a safe and secure internet as we head into 2020. They've got this great plan called 1Password for Families. I set it up with my sister and her family last year. Um, she still thinks I'm a rock star for setting her up on that. Even if she never was big on computer stuff, but now she does know that she's safe and secure with her passwords. With one password, it makes it really easy for anybody to have that password. Her and her husband share like the banking password with each other, but with one password for families, they don't have to share it with their kids. And it just makes everything so much easier. And you can do that for just $4.99 a month before you get that nice fat MPU discount. So why don't you set up one password for families for your family this holiday season? Even better yet, share the love with some of the members of your family, help them get set up with password security. With a one password for family account, you don't just get that password security, you get the ability to protect your passwords, um, they've got um, uh, permissions that you can grant built into the system, you can keep it personal depending on which member of the family is getting access to data. Um, you get the award-winning 1Password apps, and they've got it on so many different platforms now. You know you're always up to date because you're a subscriber. They've got secure storage of one gigabyte of uh, documents, so you can put like your estate planning and some of your most important documents in that secure storage. So if there's ever any problem, you can get access to them easily. Uh, seamlessly sync on they just have unrivaled customer support so go check it out at onepasswordcom slash mpu do that in all caps to make that work get that discount and share the love of internet security for 2020 this holiday season with your family we thank you one password for your support of mac power users and keeping us all safe so an example of a catalyst app that i'm using every single day is Carrot Weather, which is a, a hugely popular weather app on the iPhone and iPad. Beautiful design. has fun personality stuff, which if you're like me, you, you turn off, but it is there. Uh, alerts, really good watch OS app, just a very solid citizen in the iOS world. And David, like you said earlier, this was an example of an app that had a Mac app, but it wasn't on the front burner. It didn't feel like it didn't seem like it was really where the developer was focused. And with Catalyst, we now have 
a version of Carrot Weather that is a pretty good Mac citizen. It's got a mini bar app that you can have show your, your temperature and, and all that sort of stuff. It's location aware. You get notifications. It's got a radar. Like all the features from the iPad version are on the Mac. And it feels like an iPad app in a window to a degree. But I think that they've also done a really good job at at utilizing some of the things that the Mac only has, like that menu bar location and some of the notification stuff. And it, it's one that I am uh, definitely liking, like I said, using using every day. You know, I, I think one reason that Carrot Weather does so well on the Mac as a Catalyst app is that it has a very custom UI. So you're not going to run into those rough edges where maybe, you know, Catalyst doesn't quite live up to what you expect on a Mac. Because in that sense, it's kind of ironic that games aren't really a good fit with Catalyst because in a way, they're the perfect use case for them because you don't have to worry about those standard UI elements as much because most of the the UI in a game is custom. And that's the case with Carrot Weather as well. And it's also, I think, a really good example of the kind of app that I like to have on cat as a catalyst app because it's familiar. It's something that I already use on my iPhone and my iPad. And when I open it up on my Mac, it looks just the same. And while it's a little thing, and maybe it makes you know, maybe that's more important than a productivity app, uh, it's nice to know that when I open it up, it's gonna look just like I'm used to when I'm on my iPad and makes life just a little easier. And, and I think Steven, you're right. I mean, it's, it, it did kind of, that app does kind of go the extra mile with the menu bar app. And then, you know, the, the radar will open up in a map view that's in a separate window and so forth, which is, it's really nice. I mean, it's, there's definitely a lot of care that went into this that goes above and beyond what is kind of the default for a catalyst app on Catalina. But it's also an app that's not, overly complex and it's not like a super powerful productivity app where you've got all this different stuff going on it's digestible for catalyst right that's absolutely true and i think you know that's a i guess that's a that's a really good point when you think about too about the first party apps that apple has done apple hasn't really shown us what a true productivity creation app looks like on catalyst themselves i mean sure you've got voice memos which you can record snippets of audio, but they don't have any real document creation type of apps, you know, like a text editor or spreadsheets or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, that I think Catalyst is a good fit for these kind of like single window, simple view, uh, delivering data type of apps. We'll talk about some other ones that are a little more complex in a minute, but it is possible to do more traditional productivity apps. But I don't think Apple's done a very good job with its first-party apps doing that themselves. But if you're from Apple and you just listen to that sentence, please do not look at this as a challenge. I do not want <laughs> Keynote in Catalyst. <laughs> All right, David. Well, we'll tell, keep your hands off a of Keynote, Apple. Come on. All right. And Pages, numbers, just leave them alone. <laughs> They're working now. I think Apple itself is an example of a company that has strong Mac apps written in the traditional sense. So, you know, right. why why would they do that? Uh, I think Apple would be more willing to do it if they had some sort of iOS first application like that, but they really don't. Everything is cross-platform or even Mac only. So I don't think they're in the position to have something that really needs to take advantage of it. 
I think that that's that's true, and I mean, you you saw with Catalina, Find My was the one new native app that came over, and that was a brand new app, so that that obviously makes sense. I would like to see maybe Maps, or I could see even Notes go over to Catalyst at some point. Maybe you know Notes doesn't make as much sense, since, but uh, Apple could you know use Catalyst to make their own internal development a little easier between platforms, so that apps stay in sync we you know uh, reminders and notes have not always been in perfect sync on both platforms and it would be nice to see uh, apple take advantage of its own technology to allow that to happen in the future Mm -hmm. but looking at find my as an example um, it is an attractive mac app that looks good you open it up it gives you a list of both your people and your devices very easy to to manage however before Catalina, there was a widget that you could put on the today slash notification slide over on the Mac. You know, when you take two fingers and slide over, you get that little right bar on the right side. And that has disappeared. I don't know this for a fact. I would assume that's because it's a Catalyst app that it can't plug into that system. But or maybe maybe I'm wrong. I should research that before I say it on a podcast. But <laughs> but, you know, the the thing is, um you've lost a feature that I used to use every day. Yep. And this is, I think a lot of these Catalina or these, I did it again. A lot of these catalyst apps uh, come with a cost like that. Like you lose some little bit of functionality that you had before. And I, I'm not really super happy about that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I don't know if that's a catalyst thing or not. Although I suspect like you, that it might be because I don't think I've seen a catalyst app that has a widget yet. All right. Um, we have danced around a little bit. James Thompson's app. James Thompson is uh, is a friend of all of ours, but he's also just a beloved app developer. And uh, the canary in the coal mine so often, uh, his app, PCalc, um, is one that he's always trying on every new platform. He embedded a game accidentally into it, I guess. I'm not sure if that was an accident <laughs> or not. Um, but but James being James, he immediately jumped on uh, Catalyst. He's written about it on the internet. We've got some some of his posts linked in the show. But uh, he created this app, Dice. What do you think of that? It's a nice implementation in Catalyst. I think I'm not. It's not an app for me because I don't. I mean, it's for rolling dice of different with different numbers of sides. It's great for I guess Dungeons and Dragons and those kind of tabletop games, uh, which I don't really play. So I I haven't. I've used his app. I, I like the look of it. It works really well, but uh, I can't say I have a lot of practical uh, experience with it either. Although I will say his four-sided dice, it rolls way more than an actual four-sided dice used to roll. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting here as y'all talking, and I have like uh, 150 dice on the screen. <laughs> and it's like, it's yeah. buttery smooth. I mean, James is so good at that. And and he's written a lot about this. We'll have some links in the show notes to some blog posts he's written about about Catalyst. And this is one of those things that I get the sense that he would not have written it just as a Mac app, but he did it because Catalyst made it quote unquote easy, right? That he he could do it and bring it over. Right. And he's using scene kit and all this stuff. It looks really good and it's, you know, beautifully rendered as you would expect and very smooth. And yeah, it's not an app that that most people need, but it's something that didn't have before, and now it does, and that's good for everybody. Yeah, I think that's that's the case with a lot of these because you know if you've already been using Dice on iOS, 
why not have it on your Mac? I mean, maybe that's what you happen to be the device you happen to need it on a particular day, and now it's there, and that's thanks in large part to Catalyst. So mm-hmm. it's great that it's there. Now, now I'm just rolling a bunch of dice over and over. I gotta, I gotta stop this. <laughs> it is kind of hypnotic. I have to admit, that's a, that's yeah. a dollar purchase that it may be worth it just to sit there and roll dice and uh, and relive your old D and D days. You ever played Dungeons and Dragons, Stephen? I can't imagine you ever would. No, not no, I haven't. I'm not a big game person in general. I don't know. Not me either. I'm gonna get you into a D and D game someday, Stephen. Oh I'm just wow. gonna do it. I don't know how I'm. We gonna... should have done that when we were all in Chicago together over the summer. <laughs> yeah, that could have been your uh, fee for saving me from the airport. <laughs> it's like you would never. You'd probably never. Like, come I think back. I'm just gonna stay at O'Hare. I, I like it here. <laughs> He would he would just look so miserable. I would love to get a picture of Stephen playing TNT. <laughs> um, but there are apps that are kind of productivity minded, and one of the better ones in my mind is PDF Viewer. And John, I know you've um, you spent some time with that one as well. Yeah, PDF Viewer is an app that we've written about a lot on Mac Stories. It's it's one of my favorite PDF apps. Uh, it's a free app, which. You know, you might wonder why why an app this complex and deep is free, but it's because they have a very interesting business model. They actually license their API to other developers to implement PDF functionality within other apps, and they do that cross-platform. So PDF Viewer, in that sense, is really just kind of a showcase app that shows potential clients what their PDF technology can do. And it's an app that's been on iOS for a long time, both the iPhone and the iPad, and it never had come to the Mac. And I guess it probably they had decided that it didn't make business sense. But with Catalyst, they brought over the iPad app. And I know that it was really a big challenge because what they brought over not only lets you open PDFs that are already on your Mac, but you can create them, you can do highlighting, you can draw shapes, you can do all sorts of things within this app. And it's, you know, it's pretty fully functional. I mean, I, I was really impressed when I first tried it because this was one of the first ones that was out there on day one and probably the deepest in terms of what it can accomplish. There are, I'm, you know, there are some longtime PDF apps on the Mac that can, I think, still do more. But for a brand new app for the first, being first time on the Mac, I was uh, very impressed with what it can do. Yeah, I think it was one of the standouts from the beginning. I know for me, one of the very first things I installed because I still use Twitter, but uh, and I and they don't have an official Twitter app. And uh, while you can go to some third parties for Twitter apps, I've been trying the last few months just to use the the native Twitter app to kind of get a feel for it because it seems like uh, that's the future of Twitter anyway. And uh, so Twitter, who ha- did not have an official Mac app. Uh, made one. And I think this is an example of an app that wouldn't exist without Catalyst. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. And I mean, I think it's it's very easy to throw shade at Twitter because, I mean, they are Twitter after all. And the the iPad app is not the best designed app. It's, you know, it's like a narrow strip of tweets down the middle of the, the iPad with a lot of white space on the sides. Yeah. But they, but they had... Uh, they had discontinued the Mac app. And so up until Catalina, the only option for Twitter on a Mac at that point, unless you're using a third-party client, was the uh, the web. And, you know, 
it works pretty well. I mean, it's buggy. They've been working on it a lot. It's gotten a lot of the bugs worked out of it already. Uh, I, you know, I'm glad that it's there because it wouldn't have been there otherwise. But I'm still myself using uh, Tweetbot on the Mac. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Twitter had basically walked away from from their Mac app. And what I think is particularly cool about this is while it, it does have some rough edges, the developers at Twitter have been pretty active on Twitter and Reddit and other places getting feedback from people. You know, there were some pretty weird uh, iOS type bits of UI and, and things that were right. like left over. Because, I mean, if you're moving uh, an iPad app to the Mac... I mean, just just open any app on your system and just count the number of screens you can see, right? Like go into each preference, go into each window. These apps, while they seem simple, really aren't. And there was some stuff that has slipped through the cracks, but they've been pretty good about telling people about where features are or getting things addressed. And I get the sense that they're they're really in this. And yeah, this wouldn't be possible without Catalyst. And, and in a world where third-party Twitter apps are sort of on on the rocks a little bit this is this is really nice because using something in the browser gets old pretty quick at least for me and so i would rather have this than than nothing uh, definitely and if you do like the the first party twitter experience i know a lot of people do a lot of our friends do then now you have it on the mac and that's that's pretty awesome i wonder if they'd ever disclose how much time they put into it i mean this is one that is definitely not just the check the box app. This is an app where they've they've invested time. It's like how much time have they put into it? Would it have been just as easy for them just to make a Mac app? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm really curious about what they've put into this at this point. And and this is a good example too, where on Windows, for instance, the Twitter app I believe is a progressive web app. So it's like kind of native, but it's also a web app, right? Like it's sort of this blend right. and. They could have done something like that. They could have something what like what Slack has done with Electron, and I think Apple's pushing back against those things on the Mac that they would rather have a native app via Catalyst. And these are native Mac apps. Right? This isn't an iOS app and an emulator. Like it is running on the Mac pretty directly. They would prefer that, and so they're pushing back against Electron, pushing back against other uh, web technologies that are creeping onto the Mac and. Yeah, Twitter could have done something uh, like Electron, but they they opted for this, and that is encouraging to me as a Mac user. And yeah, I have no idea how much time they've spent on it, spent on it, but I can tell you that the the up, the updates we've seen since they launched it have been uh, at a pretty good pace, and I hope they continue that pace. Yeah, and that's something I don't think we've really said through the show is that the competition isn't a native app like Keynote. The competition is these web wrapper apps that come with all sorts of problems that are on our Macs. I mean, they use a battery quite often. More often, they're inefficient. They don't use the native uh, native operating system controls. And they're just kind of garbage in general. So I guess one of the big goals is if you're going to make an app, an app-based service and have an app for the iPhone and iPad, using Catalyst, you don't have to go to the web wrapper solution. Right. I think that's that. that is an important distinction. I mean, I am no fan of Electron apps, and I use as few of them as I possibly can because they do eat up battery. They do use system resources 
they're they're hungry in that sense. Um, and I know I've I've angered many Electron uh, developers over time who've told me that it's possible to make a performant Electron app, but I'm not aware of very many of them myself, at least not the ones that I need in the work that I do. And so I do hope that this encourages companies to use uh, Catalyst instead. I'm not entirely sure that we're going to see big companies like Slack move in part because They've got other platforms that they need to develop for too, like Windows and Linux and that sort of thing. And they may stick with the Electron. I expect they will probably stick with Electron as as what may some others who are that are web based. But I do think going forward, especially if what Catalyst does is it opens up a bigger market of a that combines kind of the iPad and the Mac, that it'll encourage those companies that are thinking about making an Electron app to just go native because they'll be able to get some, squeeze some efficiencies out of doing their iPad app and their, their native, you know, their Mac app. And that, that may actually encourage some to make an iPad app that we're on the fence about that because they get the Mac right. along with that. Um, for the listeners that aren't aware, could you explain what Electron apps are and, and why they're multiple sins? <laughs> yeah. So an Electron app is basically a thin wrapper around a web app and they're based on chromium which is kind of you know the basis for the google chrome browser and the reason they're difficult to use there's a whole bunch of issues with them one is that very often the developers don't go the extra mile and implement kind of standard conventions on the mac so they'll have really strange unconventional keyboard shortcuts they won't use the menuing system at all uh, they won't implement, you know, right-click services menus and that sort of thing. There's a lot left out, and it really is just, you know, a a wrapper around a web page. And so the, even the interaction with the app itself and its UI elements feels a lot more like clicking around in a web browser in Chrome than it does actually using an app. So on top of that, they do use a lot of battery. They tend to use a lot of RAM, and if you have an older Mac, it can really get the fans going and grind the thing to a halt. So I know, you know, having things like I use Slack, Trello, and I think maybe Grammarly are probably the three that I use the most on my Mac. And when I'm getting ready to do a podcast, they're all closed because, you know, who knows what's going to happen with one of those apps that's going to spin up my fans and make a bunch of noise. They're just, they are kind of hogs when it comes to system resources. Yeah, and the reason developers make them is because you make it once, you can distribute it on multiple platforms. So you can basically exactly. get Windows and Mac for for the cost of one development. But they're kind of they're kind of bad. I mean, I I'm like you. I actually stopped using the Grammarly app one, you know, because it's a, in my opinion, a, a poorly made Electron app. So I just use Grammarly in the web. You know, I just go to the web page when I need it. And I'm getting so increasingly, so I just go to the web for a lot of these services. I don't know if Airtable is a Electron app. I suspect it probably is their native app, but it, it goes much slower than the website. So it's easier to use Airtable on the web. Mm. And like, I'm just slowly getting these apps out of my life. Slack is always the big exception for everybody because right. of, um, you know, although I guess you could use Slack on the web if you wanted. Yeah. But you can you can i mean i i spend so much time with so many tabs open doing research for articles that i hate to have 
my communications apps and other things like that in tabs. And I know I could, you know, I've done things like Toggle, which is a you know time tracking service. I have a Fluid app that I built for that, which yeah. just opens it up as though it were its own little wrapper app. Uh, because I don't like to have that stuff in my tabs with everything else. I'd rather have it as a standalone app. But I, I definitely, I, I think long and hard before installing an Electron app these days. I'm trying to keep it to a minimum myself as well. And another way to solve that problem is using the most current version of Safari. You can pin websites, which um, go True. to the far left side. And that's a great place for Electron apps, in my opinion. You know, like getting, getting rid of the Electron app, just use the website, give it a pin. If it's something used like Grammarly, I gave a pin and now mm -hmm. it's fine. But I, I get you. I get yeah. you there. Those pesky relay guys making everybody be signing to Slack all the time. It's true. Wait, it's what? True. <laughs> We're talking a lot about Mac apps today. And Text Expander, when I think about a Mac app, is pretty much at the top of the list because it lets me unlock my productivity across any other Mac app. So I think about things that I do on a regular basis, right? I get a lot of email that's sort of common questions, right? Someone has a question about the Relay FM membership or someone wants to talk to our sales manager or they have a feedback about a show. A lot of times I sort of have a, a similar response to a lot of those emails. And instead of writing that out every time, you know, instead of, oh, let me forward this to Carrie. Let me, you know, thank you for your feedback, whatever it is. Text Expander lets me build a library of common messages, common replies, and I can just store them there. And when I need them, if I'm on my Mac or I'm on my iPhone or iPad, they're with me everywhere. A text expander lets you be a good member of a team as well. Say you have several people who are answering emails from the public. Well, you want that language to be consistent and you want to be able to change it for everybody all at once. And text expander for teams lets you do that. Like I said, you can use Text Expander anywhere you type. So Slack, Trello, Google Docs, web browsers, mail, airmail, Spark. You know, if you're on that email journey like some of us go on sometimes, those snippets are with you wherever you go. I use snippets in apps like Notes and Day One. Any place that I need to put text more than once, I'm going to make a Text Expander snippet for it. It's available for macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And if you visit textexpander.com slash podcast, you can learn more about Text Expander and you'll get 20% off your first year. While you're over at textexpander.com, check out their blog. They've got some great posts up about customer service and uh, recruitment goals. Lots of really useful things that you may find new ways to use Text Expander at home or at work. So once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast. And you'll get 20% off your first year. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of the show and making typing all that faster. Uh, one of the apps that John included on the list really got my eyebrows up. I wasn't aware of it. John, explain HCC Solitaire. All right. Well, this is a real simple solitaire game from Steve Troughton Smith. And he, of, course. <laughs> he, of course, he built it, I think to show people that you don't have to have an iOS app in order to create a Catalyst app on the Mac. Now, I mean, we've been talking all along about how you can use Catalyst to bring iPad apps over to the Mac. Well, it's actually flexible enough that you don't even have to do that. You can build 
an app wholesale out of the Catalyst Technologies right for the Mac with nothing else. And, you know, it's, it's a simple game. It's fun. It works well. Uh, but, but to me, what, what's most interesting about it is that it just kind of demonstrates the flexibility of Catalyst and the kinds of things that developers can do with it. I'm not aware of any other apps that are Catalyst only or, you know, Mac only apps built with Catalyst, but uh, Steve's, Steve's Solitaire app is one of them. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Steve uh, Trenton Smith, for folks who don't know, he's the one who's always spelunking through the the iOS code and coming up with future features and finding dialogue boxes and other things that helps us figure out what Apple's up to. Yeah. So it makes total sense that he would build a Mac only Catalyst app. Mm-hmm. He's a very big he's a very big proponent of Catalyst, and I, yeah. I mean a lot of a lot of the technical underpinnings I learned just from following Steve's Twitter feed. So if you if you want to get get a, a real heavy dose of deep dive into Catalyst, he's a he's a great person to follow. It's not an irrational opinion to real to think that the reason Apple announced Catalyst a year ago or a year and a half ago was because they knew that Trotton Smith was going to find it anyway. <laughs> true, true. Well, let's talk about some more Catalyst apps that you think are are worth mentioning at this point. Yeah, I, I'd like to mention RSS readers because RSS is an area that for years now has been super competitive on iOS. Uh, and two of our favorites at Mac Stories have been Fiery Feeds and Lear. They're both excellent iOS apps that have a lot of very custom and opinionated designs that allow you to, they're, they're really built for power users who want to sort their feeds in all sorts of different ways and move the data around, move you know the articles around to different types of services and other apps. And for the longest time, you know, RSS is on the Mac. It's one of those categories where there are good apps on the Mac. Uh, Reader is one of them. And, but there weren't a lot of apps that were both on the Mac and iOS. So there are a handful, like Reader again, but there weren't a lot. And with Catalyst, both Fiery Feeds and Lear were there day one. And I, I was impressed, especially with Lear is the one probably of the two, it's the one I've been using the most in the last six months or so. I, I change RSS clients all the time. I'm constantly running. I mean, I literally, probably this year, I've used five or six different ones. And I'm currently kind of using Reader more than anything else. But for a good chunk of the year, I was using Lear. And that was the one that I liked the most when Catalina came out. Fiery Feeds, also solid app, does a lot of what the iOS version does. Uh, and it, they there was a lot of detail brought over. Like Lear, for instance, has the tooltips, which... A lot of these apps don't have because it's not automatic. Uh, there was a lot of thought that went into them to make them kind of more Mac-like, spread out the the navigation so you know you had like a three-column view that you could see all at once instead of just two columns with one that shifts over like you would on the iPad. Uh, r- both really good implementations on on the Mac. Yeah, those are the two that I have not tried of all the shows we've discussed today. Uh, for me, I I found um, Unread is a good one for me years ago. It mm-hmm. seems to have the right amount of features plus friction. I want some friction on these things or I will turn everything into RSS. You know? <laughs> um, but, the, uh, but it just seems like a good app. But I kind of came across the idea of like, what if I only read news on iOS? Yeah, mm. That's something where I don't want to 
get that into Mac. Where I'm usually working on the Mac, it's productivity time. I don't want the option, so I haven't installed either one of them. But but that's exactly the category of app that makes sense for Catalyst. I mean, information dense, something that would normally fit into a web wrapper or something that may be a web service that could become so much better with a native Mac app experience that probably, once again, wouldn't exist without Catalyst. And one of the good things about Mac apps that one of the things that carries over between iOS and the Mac really well are extensions. They're not quite as powerful on the Mac as they are in iOS, but you can have extensions on the Mac. And one of the things I like to do is, you know, use those in an app like Fiery Feeds to take articles to send them somewhere else, whether it's to notes or reminders or things like that. So uh, in that in that sense, it's a very similar to the iOS experience. And it's, I think, a category that shows that by opening it up to Catalyst, you've got more competition now in the Mac, which I think for users is a good thing because it just means there'll be more variety, more opportunities for innovation where one developer is trying to outdo the other. I mean, I think in the end, that's good for all of us who are, who are the users. Mm-hmm. Fiery Feed is, is one, of, one of the examples for me of an app that it's got a lot of screens, and there's there's parts of its UI that still need some revisiting, still feel really like they're from an iPad or, or you know, aren't really that legible yep. or even have some issues. And I'm willing to give those developers uh, a break for now because this is this is really new. But as this matures, and we're going to talk about that in a second, ways this could get better over time, it's something that I think users are going to be less and less patient with. In the future, I think right now, right. if you're aware that Catalyst is a thing, that you, you kind of get that, yeah, this is this is sort of a new frontier. But I'm hopeful that these developers get an opportunity soon to continue to improve their craft with these tools. Yeah, it was a little rough, especially at the beginning for a lot of these apps, because I think we found out on a Friday that that Catalina was coming out the next Monday or Tuesday. It was only like it was like basically a weekend that people that developers had to upload their apps and have them approved by the app store and you know app review had as little time as the developers did and a lot of things were approved that had as you said remnants of iOS in them you know help screens that mentioned things like face ID and mm-hmm. and you know elements that were clearly left over from iOS that really w- weren't a good look but they were also a lot of them were kind of rushed out the door. And while, you know, you can kind of cut them a little slack short term for that, given the the circumstances over the summer, it you're right. I think that slack cutting is only going to go so far. And I think it is time for apps to start polishing up a little bit more and, and working better on the Mac. And a lot have. I mean, I've really seen, especially in the last month, a lot of these apps get updates and start working a lot better on the Mac. It was a little rough going in the early, you know, the early weeks, yeah. but it's really, it's, you know, now that we're kind of past, not only, I mean, of course, you know, you guys know about it, you've been talking about it on the show. I mean, we had, not only did we have 13 launch, but 13 was still kind of a mess until we got to 13 too. So, you know, those developers who had iOS apps were still dealing with bugs even past the iOS 13 launch and didn't really get around to addressing some of this catalyst stuff until f- things finally started calming down in October. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's why we frankly didn't make this show until after a few months, because we didn't want to. I think the initial Catalyst story wasn't really that great. We wanted to give developers some time. We're getting the second wave released now, and, and things are getting more solid. But you're definitely seeing a theme with the types of apps that I think are successfully making this transition. Right. I think an example of an app that has done really well in designing an app that feels like the Mac is Lookup, which is a a dictionary app for the Mac. Again, came from the iPad. And there's a blog post where the developer goes into all the thinking behind it. And it's an app that feels like a, a modern Mac app. It feels like podcast or music or Apple TV. It's got a sidebar. It's got some controls in the in the, the title bar. It's got a dark mode. It's got popovers. And it feels, it feels really good. I think of all the ones that I've installed for this episode, uh, it is the highlight as, as far as uh, polish for me. I, I would go beyond that to say lookup feels like something different. It doesn't feel like an iOS app. It doesn't feel like a Mac app, but it, it looks like a new generation yeah. of a Mac app. I, I, think, I think in five years, a, a lot more Mac apps are going to look like this, which, you know, it borrows from podcasts and movies and or TV and music very heavily. I think this is sort of where things are going to go that, you know, when we're at a couple of years from now talking about this, uh, this will be an app that was at the front of the line. Yeah, it's really remarkable that they came out on day one with this too. I mean, I, over the summer, as I was getting ready to do my Catalina review, I was asking developers for Catalyst apps and boy, it was late in the game before I started seeing them, but I did see Lookup earlier than most and it went through a lot of iterations before it landed on this. Uh, and a lot of, I think, you know, I, I definitely saw this one in a beta process all the way from the the box has been checked and it and it does run on a Mac, but that's about it, all the way through to the final polished product. And they really took it uh, really far. This is another app that is one we've written about a bunch on Mac Stories and, and like a lot. I mean, it's a, not only is it a dictionary app, but it does it does a great job with just the graphics involved. And it has, you know, it, it has this ability to create collections where, especially if you're a writer or something, you want to collect words and remember words and learn new words or a student or whatever it is, you can create collections of words and then you can quiz yourself on them. So it goes a lot further than just like the built-in dictionary app that, that Apple offers. I don't know if you guys remember back when Delicious Library came out. Right. And everybody for many years, they called it kind of the the delicious generation of apps, you know, with because they had such a unique look to them. That this is what this kind of reminds me of. I'm not saying this is what everything's going to be in the future, but it definitely, it's like, hey, you know, you're you're looking at this like, oh, this is something different, and I think that's exactly what they were hoping for at Apple with creating this. That people would come up with a new way to make Mac apps to make them interesting, and hopefully, you know, pump some life into the Mac App Store. Yeah, absolutely. All right, but that's not the only uh, apps out there. Uh, uh, one of them that I I got on day one because I'm an avid user of their iOS app is GoodNotes. Nice. And this one falls, I think, somewhere in between. I don't think this is like you know changing the game the way Lookup does, but it 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 solves a problem for me in that I've got a lot of time and data invested in GoodNotes, and now I've got a solid app. Uh, they had a Mac app, I believe, in the past. I never was very much a fan of it. But this one, it's solid. It does the job. Gets me my data. Um, it's Mac enough, but it, I, I think it could still use some more work. But, but I mean, it, it gets me what I need. 
Yeah, I think this is a really good example of an app that is primarily an iOS app, but one that's a nice to have on the Mac as well. Because with GoodNotes, I use it a lot myself. I use it with the Apple Pencil. I take handwritten notes and write them right there on on the iPad. And I don't do that when I'm on the Mac, but if I'm taking a bunch of notes about some app I'm testing or something like that, and then I sit down to write the article, it's nice to have those notes right there on my Mac on the screen ready to go. And I think you know the developers wrote a blog post about this, I think right after WWC, and they're really upfront about it. They said, you know, we don't we haven't developed our Mac app nearly as much as we would have liked. It's behind the iOS version. And ultimately what they did is they threw it out. It was off the store for a good part of the summer, and then they launched GoodNotes 5 alongside the update on iOS on the Mac as part of Catalyst. And I've been happy with it. I don't use it nearly as much as I do on iOS. But like I said, when I need to look at, refer to my notes, it's nice to be able to just be able to pull them up right on my Mac without having to, you know, pull out my iPad at my desk too. Yeah, it's more reference than creation, but it, it's a nice tool. All right, uh, before we continue, I want to talk about our next sponsor, and that's our friends over at Linode. High-performance SSD Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. You can get a $20 credit when you go to linode.com slash MPU. Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. And you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node locations. Linode serves their customers with the help of 10 data centers across the globe. So no matter where you are, you're going to have fast access. And they're about to add more. They've got one in Mumbai, India, Toronto, Canada. Uh, Both have data centers before 2020, which is not that far away. Uh, Linode features native SSD storage with a 40 gigabyte network and Intel E5 processors. So nice and snappy, meaning you're able to serve your customers even faster than before. And so you don't have to stress about overspending. Linode's designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly billing with the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services such as backups and node balancers. So no matter where you're going with this, it's a great way to get started and to manage your costs as you're doing that. Uh, with their block storage available uh, in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, and soon to be releasing uh, Tokyo, uh, version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta and includes an officially supported Python CLI. So uh, Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans start at 1 gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month. That's right, just $5 a month and you're in. And they offer high memory plans starting at 16 gigabytes of RAM. With Linode, uh, they have a special offer for you as a listener of the Mac Power Users. You can go to linode.com slash MPU and use promo code MPU2019 to get $20 off any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four months for free. Four months you can kick the tires, gang. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash MPU and promo code MPU2019 to learn more. Sign up and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So one thing I want to talk a, a little bit, John, before we before we let you go, is uh, the future for all, all of the stuff, right? So we talked about Catalyst and SwiftUI a little bit, but I want to, I want to revisit that. But this is very clearly the early days of Catalyst. And and John, I wonder, what do you what do you hope to see out of this over the next few years? 
Well, you know, I I think it's it's kind of unfortunate, I guess, that this came at the same time as all of the iOS and iPadOS 13 features because I kind of feel as though Catalyst would have been an easier sell with iOS 12, that it would have given developers more time to really dig in and implement it. But, you know, we are where we are. And in terms of going forward, I think that one thing I'd like to see is some greater signs of commitment by Apple and an understanding of what what they intend Catalyst to be. I don't think it's been clearly communicated exactly how Catalyst is meant to fit into the overall strategy of the company, especially after the introduction of Swift UI, which we can talk about in a second. But, uh, you know, we already talked a little bit about the first-party Catalyst apps. They're not great, even if Apple doesn't introduce new ones with, you know, additional complexity. I would like to see the ones that are there improved. I mean, those four initial ones that came out in 2018 have not been touched at all, and they really could stand to be improved. Uh, Catalyst, I'm sure, has changed internally between the time we saw those apps in 2018, and they were released as part of Mojave, and now are out as part of Cat- as part of Catalina. Uh, I'm sure that there are ways that they could be improved. And I'd like to see a couple of new apps, though. I'd like to see maybe messages and or, you know, I don't know, maybe maps moved Catalyst to show that a more complex app can be created with Catalyst as well. And I think the developers just need a little more support here. I think, you know, a commitment to first-party apps helps lead by example, but there really needs to be better documentation and sample code. I know from talking to developers, I mean, developers are great. They all talk to each other and they help each other out, but it's still not the same as having real honest-to-goodness internal Apple documentation, and it's really been lacking with with Catalyst, so I'd like to see that improved as well, so that especially people who are completely new to the Mac, and that's the whole point of this, after all, really, that they have you know a little bit more hold handholding from Apple as in terms of figuring out how to implement this stuff. Yeah, it's like you know we know that Swift UI is the long term solution to this. We talked about this on our developer roundtable a few weeks ago. That mm-hmm. you know Apple has a new user interface system that you design one user interface that can be in essence in essence um, deployed on all Apple hardware, and that's the problem this Catalyst is also trying to solve. But Swift UI is going to take years to really get refined to the point that people are using it day to day. I know there's exceptions, but in general, uh, whereas Catalyst is meant to be something they can deploy right away. But is it meant to be like the little Band-Aid you get with Mickey Mouse on it? Or is it meant to be like, you know, something more permanent for the next couple of years? I mean, how deep is Apple going to go into Catalyst? I'm not sure we know yet, do we? Yeah, I don't think we do. And, you know, there's definitely overlap between the two. And I do think that in general, you're right, that Catalyst is designed to be a stepping stone to something different. And that that something different, part of that undoubtedly is Swift UI. I'm not sure we have seen the entire picture of what that will be down the road. But I think Catalyst does have the potential for having legs and being around for quite a while. I mean, after all, you know, when when we had carbon 
in the transition from classic Mac to Cocoa, that was around for a really long time. And it, it really helped ease that transition. And I think Swift UI needs that too. Right now, you know, we're seeing developers do UIs on the Apple Watch in Swift UI, but and, and some UI elements on the iPhone and the like, but it's not really there where you can build an entire app in it at this point, or at least many apps in it. And it's certainly not, I don't think, being implemented in any meaningful way on the Mac at this point. So it is a stepping stone. Uh, I think it is important long-term to try to bring the Mac and iOS closer together. I think that everybody benefits from having the ability to move seamlessly between platforms. I mean, there shouldn't be, why should it be that my experience on the Mac or my experience on the iPad, for that matter, is fundamentally different, even though I'm using two apps that are called the same thing. I mean, from a user standpoint, it should be made easier for people to move from one to the other. And that, in some respects, may mean bringing some iOS elements to the Mac and migrating some Mac things back to iOS. So I'm kind of hoping that that's where we, we end up. But we've got a long way to go. And, you know, things like better... Mac UI elements coming with Catalyst, things like that. All of that will go a long way into easing the transition. All right, so let's say Tim Cook is listening to this show. Maybe he's doing his uh, morning workout. Got the MPU in his ears, right? And the new and the new AirPods Pro Plus that we won't see for next year. <laughs> and uh, and he calls you up tomorrow. And he says, "John, this is Tim. You know, I can't help myself. Um, you get you get two or three things to fix Catalyst. What are they?" First, I'd ask him to bring air power back because I miss air power. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but after I was He's done... He's a busy ben- man. You, got, you, you can't talk about ben- air power. <laughs> all right, all right. If I couldn't talk about air power, it, it really would be, it would be, first and foremost, it would be the documentation for the developers. Um, I think that that would be the, the critical thing, that. Uh, and then a rollout of uh, UI elements that make sense on the desktop so that we can get rid of these Tumblr picker things, which make, they yeah. make no sense on the Mac. They absolutely make yeah. no sense. So, you know, things like calendar widgets where you actually have a month view and can move from month to month with little arrows. Things, you know, you can have smaller UI elements on a Mac because you've got a nice little pointy pointer that you can use to click on things. So Th- Things that were on my original Mac in college in 1980-whatever. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. We're not we're not poking at our Macs yet, and I don't think we're probably going to be for a while. So, uh, yeah. I you know I think that we need a little bit more of that in the mix as well. And th- those are the two things I, I think I would ask for. Yeah, even Carrot Weather has the uh, the dial spinner for picking dates in it. So I mean, it's just like I do agree that it, it just stands out when you see it. It's kind of jarring. It's like, what is this doing on my Mac? Mm-hmm. Right. One thing we haven't really talked about yet is the business side of this. And anyone who's been checking out these apps in the show notes, you've realized already that these are completely separate purchases. So on mobile, a developer can elect to have their iPhone and iPad app be one app, one SKU in the store. So if you buy it once, you get it both places. And there's even some things around tvOS that sort of support that, but... So far, these Catalyst Mac apps are completely separate applications from the iO their iOS cousins. And uh, my complaint about that is not necessarily about having to pay for an app again. If it's an app I use every day, I'm happy to do that. I gladly paid for Carrot Weather on the Mac, for instance. 
But some developers want that flexibility where they can throw in the Mac app where they can make it part of a, a subscription where you get you know all three versions, iPad, iPhone, and Mac all together. And they, that flexibility is just not there yet. John, I know you talk to a lot of developers as part of your coverage of Mac stories. Do developers feel strongly that Apple should address this quickly, or is it just kind of a, a big deal for maybe those who just don't want to pay again? You know, I, I think they do want it addressed because it, it. I have heard hesitancy among developers who aren't willing to bring their iPad apps over to the Mac if they have to explain to people that they're going to have to pay for them all over again. And there are a lot of economic issues here, but really what it comes down to is what you said, Stephen, it's flexibility, right? I mean, it's easier to tell someone for $30, you can have an app on everything instead of saying you have to pay 15 on the Mac and 15 on iOS. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that by combining these binaries and allowing it to be one purchase, that it's necessarily means that the Mac app is free. Now, you know, I mean, part of the idea here is to bring more Mac apps or more iPad apps over to the Mac, which increases competition, which ultimately may lower prices on the Mac app store. They, the Mac app store today tends to support higher prices than we see on iOS these days. Right. But I don't think what Apple is doing is keeping these things separate in order to prop up the Mac pricing models. I really don't think that's what they're doing. I mean, you look throughout Apple's history, and what they don't do is they don't make decisions based on the economics of what app developers can charge, unfortunately. I mean, they want to, you know, generally speaking, Apple wants it to be as easy as possible for the customer. But we've never had that on the Mac. We've never had bundles. We've never had uh, universal binaries. We can't, you know, you can't have subscriptions. Uh, there are a lot of things that are missing on the business side. And from a develop, this is a very developery thing. It impacts me just because we test a lot of apps, but they don't have test flight. And so over the summer, I spent an inordinate amount of time swapping emails with developers who are sending me Dropbox links to apps. And it's just messy. And it's, it limits the number of people who can effectively test an app. So developers can't really have a be big beta program for their apps and work out all those bugs in advance because they're managing that with something like email. Now, some of them are using hockey and other, other, I guess it's not called hockey anymore, whatever Microsoft calls it now. But, you know, these are developers who are coming from iOS where they're familiar and used to using TestFlight, and now they don't have that. And that's definitely been a problem as well. So, yeah, there's a lot to be done there. And that's, you know, I guess, David, I would add that to my request to Tim Cook if yeah. I could have my, my third wish from the genie because, you know, that's the kind of thing that I, that I hope... Apple will roll out in the interim and not wait until WWC 2020. Because yeah. if the business models don't work, then there's going to be just too much friction in the system, and it's just not going to grow as quickly as, as it might otherwise. I mean, when we started the show, I said one of the things I like about Catalyst is it shows an intent by Apple to support the Mac on a go-forward basis. But you know how serious they are about it, I think, is really going to demonstrate itself in the next year. You know? Are they going to fix a bunch of these problems? You know, is the date picker going to get fixed? Is, you know, on the programming side, is the model, the pricing model going to get fixed on the app store side? I mean, uh, I understand it's hard to get things like this out the door. I can't imagine how much work it was 
making it possible to convert iPad apps to Mac. I mean, they're they're two different processors. You know, I mean, right? You know, maybe that's not a big a deal, but to me, it seems like a big deal. And uh, but but they still there there's still work to be done here. Clearly, the processor question is actually really interesting because in in the I feel like in the background of all of this, or maybe like hanging over all of our heads, is uh-huh. the the transition to ARM Max, which still rumored, but heavily rumored. I think it makes a lot of sense. And some people have looked at Catalyst and I think believe that, oh, well, this is a step towards ARM Max, right? And, and Apple's getting iOS developers, like making their code bases work on ARM and Intel processors, and that'll make all that easier. And I think there is some truth to that, but if you're an iOS app developer and you use the built-in to Xcode the simulator, that builds an Intel version of your app. And that, that technology actually where Catalyst came from, like under the hood, behind the scenes, the iOS simulator is sort of the birthplace of Catalyst. But I, I don't know if Catalyst is like a huge deal in terms of an ARM transition, but it seems to me that all of Apple's current tools, Catalyst, Swift UI, Xcode, all of this is getting developers to a place where a transition on the Mac would be easier than ever. But I don't think this is some sort of, you know, golden bullet or or some sort of magic pill to, to make the ARM transition seamless for developers or users. But I think it's just like one more stepping stone towards that inevitable future where apps are platform or processor agnostic. And that if you write for an Apple platform, they'll take care of that low-level stuff and you can just ride on top of their frameworks and APIs. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things going on here. I mean, and I think that's part of it. You know, I think with Swift UI and the design changes and all these things, there, there's a, a change going on that I think the goal is to have kind of a smooth continuum across everything from as small a screen as the Apple Watch on up to the biggest display you can run on a Mac. The tricky part and the balancing act is doing that in a way that makes it easier for developers, but at the same time maintains kind of the integrity and acknowledges what works best on each platform. You know, mm-hmm. not not trying to make a Mac work like a touch device or trying to make an iPad work like a Mac, but at the same time having enough commonality across them, both at a low level and on kind of the surface with the UI and the design elements that it's easier for developers to work across all of Apple's platforms. And then you pile onto that the weight of security because security is such a big deal now that as they make these changes, they have to make sure they don't expose these systems to some, you know, security vulnerability because of making it easier for developers. I mean, I don't envy Apple trying to go through this, but they do need to go through it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends over at Hover. If you have a big idea, a new project you want to start, you need a domain name, right? And naming things is hard, I get that, but having a unique domain name people can find your work, your project, uh, that's a big first step. And Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. So, of course, they have the traditional .com, .org, .net, but they have lots of fun, unique ones to help you stand out. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. 
They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have if you're like me and struggle with the <laughs> the monster that is DNS. Hover has real people ready to help you. They're dedicated to getting you online and not to upselling you. Hover has free who is privacy so the bad guys don't get your info. Clean UX and UI across all of their tools and monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. All of my domains have been at Hover for a really long time. Anytime I have a new project or I'm helping somebody with a new project, uh, that's always where I start. And uh, it's been great. We know that Mac Power users like user experiences and things that just work straight out of the box. So you will appreciate Hover. Go buy your domain and start using it today. Go to hover.com slash MPU and get 10% discount on all new purchases. Once again, that is hover.com slash MPU. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of the show and Relay FM. So John, Catalyst apps aside, what is bringing you delight these days in your technology? All right. Well, I've got a I've got a few things for you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start with apps since that's you know kind of what we do over on Mac Stories more than anything else. And the first thing I want to mention is Game Club because Game Club is a really unique way that old iOS games are having new life breathed into them. These are games that disappeared off the App Store, whether it was because of the transition from. 32-bit to 64-bit architectures, or for whatever reason, the developers just let them fall by the wayside and didn't update them, and eventually they stopped working. And what Game Club has done, uh, Game Club is a is a startup that their business development guy used to be, is Eli Hodap, and he used to be the editor-in-chief at Touch Arcade, which is a website dedicated to reviewing mobile games. And so he really knows these games, and he really knows the industry and the players and the people who make the games. He went around for months collecting these games and bringing them into Game Club so that they could be updated to work on modern hardware. And the, you know, Game Club is a subscription service, just like Apple Arcade. It's $5 a month. And what you get for it is a similar catalog in terms of quantity as Apple Arcade. There are roughly 100 games in it right now. And there's some real classics in there. Uh, there's like Super Crate Box is one of them, which is one of my all-time favorites. Um, there are just a ton of games. And the reason this seems to work is that once the people behind Game Club had fixed a handful of games, they, you know, they, they realized that, the, that each of these kinds of games have certain issues that have to be fixed. And so there's an economy of skill where once they know how to fix it for one game, they can fix it for other games. And so they keep bringing out new games all the time that have come back from the dead, so to speak, from, from the App Store. And there are just a lot of, both from a, an app preservation and historical perspective, they're interesting. But some of them are just plain fun games that you'll probably remember. And one thing that I think is really neat about Game Club is that if these these apps are still all the original binaries, in which what that means to users is that if you owned one of these games and it's been incorporated into Game Club, you can re-download it. You don't have to join and pay the subscription to Game Club. It'll just be available on the App Store because you bought it maybe seven years ago and don't even remember. It'll be there. So that's kind of nice. But 
I do think that the uh, subscription's really worth it. It's a it's a really cool service, and I had a a chance at the game developer conference back in March to sit down and talk to Eli about it. And these people who were running Game Club are really into classic iOS games in the best way, and uh, it's it's a terrific service that I've been enjoying since it came out. I guess it came out about two months ago now. It's really cool that they were able to resurrect games, you know, because it is an interesting platform, the iOS and the way that people made money on it, especially initially was a one-time purchase. And at some point, nobody continues buying. You you have to move on because you can't, you still have to eat. Right, exactly. And they've, you know, they've taken out the ads and the in-app purchases. There's no, I mean, it's strictly you subscribe and you get the games. There's no in-app ads or in-app purchases or anything like that. So it's it's kind of a cleaned up version of the game in that sense as well if they if they had those things originally. What, what do you think also, just while we're on the show, uh, what do you think of Apple Arcade? I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I was really floored by the quality of the games in it. Uh, I was a little concerned after Apple's fall event because I don't think they did a very good job of showcasing what was coming. But when it came, I was very impressed. I mean, there's a lot of great games on there. It's something on my list of things to do is to do a lot more coverage of those games on Mac Stories because they're, especially since so many were dumped onto Arcade at one time, you know, it's really hard to go through there and, and decide what to play because there's so many good ones. But yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying it. I actually have an Xbox controller in my bedside table now because of Apple Arcade, <laughs> you know, because it's just, it is, you're right. I mean, I'm not as big of a gamer. I'm definitely more of a gamer than Steven, but I'm uh, not as big of a gamer as you are probably, John, but there is a lot of fun stuff in there. And, uh, and a lot of it is very kind of console-y where if you have yes. an extra controller or you want to get an Xbox or a PlayStation controller, because they added that feature now too, you're good. Yeah, and I do suggest getting a controller. Not every game uses them, but the ones that do, it, it it's a nice experience to have that. And I'm really glad that Apple kind of decided, well, you know what? We're never going to build a controller, I think. Uh, we're just going to rely on these other parties to do it because they've been doing it for years. And, and both Sony and Microsoft make great controllers. I'm looking at this Apple TV remote. I'm not sure I want them to make a controller. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that that was the controller originally, right? I mean, yeah, it's, exactly. it's, un, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a great way to play a game. Have you ever try playing Alto's Odyssey with with a TV remote? It's yes. it's, it's super painful. Oh, and you got to get the timing. It changes the whole timing. Like right. I, uh, I, uh, and then it messes you up when you go back. I, this is this is a path I have walked. I understand. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is Music Harbor? That's another one on your list that I hadn't heard of. Yeah, this is an app that's really come on the scene in recent months. It we looked at it early on at Mac Stories and was weren't super impressed initially, but it's improved a lot over time. And I know Federico did a, an article about how he discovers new music a couple of weeks ago. And this is kind of at the center of it. And I, it's become the same for me because what you do is it can ingest all the artists that you have in an Apple Music account. Or you can just, you can also pick and choose if you want, which is what I did because I had too many artists and it would have been kind of overwhelming. But once you get the artists into the app, then it will tell you whenever there's a new release. And so, and you can, you can kind of filter it. So it's, you know, maybe you only want to know about albums. You don't want to know about singles or you don't want to know about remixes, but you do want to know about singles, you know, all that kind of thing where you can kind of tailor it to your interests. 
and then you'll know when the music comes out. You can, for upcoming releases, you can add them to the calendar if you want to do that. Uh, there's also a news section and a concert section for concerts in your area. I don't use the news and concert section very often, but it is kind of nice, especially since most music releases come out late in the week on a Friday a lot of times. And it's nice to just kind of go in there once a week, see what's there. It's super easy from within the UI to add those albums to a playlist or something. I create a new, a new playlist just called New. And so if there's something that strikes my eye, I'll shoot it off that playlist really quickly and listen to it later. So it's a good way to discover new music. Now, John, your next pick is one that I have heard from at least four different listeners over the last month about. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's really weird. I'm getting all these emails. People are always trying to get me to spend money. I think it's kind of like their way of getting even. It's and a good way thing, to spend money. Yeah. It's called the Narbox, G-N-A-R-B-O-X. And uh, you put it when you put it on your list, I'm like, oh, not another one of these Narbox people. <laughs> What is this thing? I don't even understand what it is. All right. Well, it's expensive. So, I mean, people are definitely trying to spend your money. They sent me one to, to, to test, and I've been testing it for the last couple of weeks and plan to write about it on Mac Stories soon. But it is an external drive, an SSD drive, but it's got a lot more going on than just an SSD drive. It's First of all, it's super rugged. It's like rubberized. You can drop it. It's waterproof. But it's also got a little tiny computer built into it and wireless connectivity. So you can do, it's really built for photographers and people taking video. It's got inputs for micro SD, regular SD, uh, HDMI mini. And generally what you can do with this is if you're out shooting photos with, you know, an actual standalone camera, you can pull out your SD card, drop it into this thing back up your photos really quickly. And because it's wireless, it has you know, Wi-Fi built into it, as soon as you're on a network where you can connect to Dropbox, it will automatically upload them to Dropbox. Or you can offload them from the Narbox to an iOS device by creating an ad, an ad hoc Wi-Fi network. Or you can just plug it in with a USB-C cable. So there's a lot of versatility there in terms of backing up and transferring things around. And for people doing video, it can also transcode right on the device to get previews and other easily editable versions of the video ready for when you go back to your computer and start doing the editing process. Um, there's a couple apps that go along with it too. You know, if you're in the field, you can go through and select your apps, star some of them, create tags, do a lot of that kind of initial culling and organization. On the on you know in the back of a car or wherever you happen to be before you're back at your Mac and actually editing your video so or your or your photos for that matter so it's it's a pretty cool little device um, haven't had a ton of time with it yet but I've been really impressed I think they come in two fifty six five twelve and one terabyte models and two fifty six is like five hundred dollars and wow. I, the one right, terabyte is, yeah, and one terabyte's like maybe eight or nine hundred dollars. I don't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, it gets expensive fast, and that's in part because they're very fast SSDs, they're waterproof, and they've got like a little mini computer built into them so they can communicate wirelessly. Sounds like a real a no brainer if you're like a professional videographer or photographer yeah. to get a backup of everything. So you're 
your media gets backed up to the NARD box drive in addition to getting transferred to your whatever device. Yeah, exactly. And I'm interested to see how this works too with something like Lightroom CC for the iPad is they've been working, you know, Adobe has said they're working on importing directly from external drives into the app. That's something that's been one of those iOS 13 features that's been a little delayed. And Adobe says that's coming out soon, I think, uh, maybe by the end of the year. And I'd like to try it with this and with other external storage. It's an interesting category because there's been lots of devices where it's got an SSD stick uh, reader in it in one end and some sort of Wi-Fi or wired ability to move data. Right. Particularly to iPad. That's been a thing on the iPad for some time. But most of them have been kind of garbage. I bought one at one point. I don't remember what, it, what the brand was, but it didn't work worth a damn. Um, it looks like this is that done right, but with a pretty big price tag attached to it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, with iOS is that there always had to be some sort of intermediary, whether it was the Files app or a custom app that the device manufacturer made. And hopefully with this update, you know, you'll be able to, especially with like Lightroom and any other apps that that uh, that implement this, you'll be able to import things directly into those apps without, you know, parking it somewhere else first. This looks like perfect for Steven's brother, right? Oh, yeah. Take that thing to Africa and shoot your next film. It's super cool. Yeah, exactly. All right. What else is on your list, John? All right. I got one more thing for you guys. And that is the Logitech Craft Keyboard. I have been using a couple of different Logitech keyboards recently. And both the Craft and the MX Keys. And the Craft is kind of a fancy version of the MX Keys. The MX Keys actually is more recent. But the Craft is a Bluetooth wireless keyboards full-size keyboards got number pad and all that jazz in it too and it you know you can connect it to your mac or to an ipad one thing that i like a lot about these larger logitech keyboards is that they have dedicated keys that you can switch between connecting to different devices so i can you know hit the number one and i'm connected to my mac mini i can hit number two and i'm connected to my ipad that sort of thing But what's really unique about the craft is that it has this little dial up in the corner that is also pressable. So it's like a little control wheel and you press down on it and it clicks like you're clicking a trackpad or a mouse. And so what you can do to that, you you can basically customize that to work differently in different apps. So if I'm in Safari, for instance, and I twist it, kind of the default behavior is that we'll move quickly between all my tabs. Hmm. But if I'm in uh, just in the system in general or in music or something, it'll control the volume. But I can also customize it to do things like if I'm editing in Logic, I can use it to scroll the timeline uh, horizontally, which is really kind of neat, and then get, you know, press down on it to select something in the timeline or whatever it happens to be. So, it you know, I haven't spent a ton of time programming it for particular apps, but it is kind of handy to have that kind of input device built right into your right into your keyboard, especially when it's it's just more of a it it's um it's almost like having a scroll wheel attached to your your keyboard. It gives you a different kind of uh, lateral type of input with the keyboard. Now, the other things about this keyboard are nice is that it's it's big, it's hefty, um, sturdy, it has long battery life, and it does this thing where the the backlighting dims when you're not using it, but as your hands approach it, 
it lights up, which is really cool. Uh, it has some sort of motion sensor, and so you never have to really deal with turning dimming on and off. It just kind of does it automatically, which helps save the battery life and make it work a little longer. But I, you know, besides that, I just like the feel of these keys. Um, I'm not a huge fan of full size keyboards because I feel like they always have to be kind of non symmetrically centered under my under my screen in order to type on them and not accidentally start hitting number keys or something. But the keys here, I'd say they have they have more um, distance to them when you press them down than like a magic keyboard. But they're also very stable, a lot like that kind of keyboard. So um, I've been happy with it. And it's, you know, it's got a bunch of other media control keys and other special function buttons at the top row too. But other than that, it's, it's basically a, a standard keyboard. Now, do you have to run the Logitech software to make it work to get all those benefits? To do the customizing you do, it'll, it'll work, you know, without that software installed just as a regular keyboard. But if you want to set up specific interactions with different apps, you do have to have that installed and then you use that to set it up. But other than when I'm doing that, I, it doesn't have, it's not like there's a app that has to be open. Yeah. That always, you know, I've had bad experience with some of the Logitech software in the past, but I had heard that it got better. So I don't, that's that's my only like hesitation with something like this. It it's I've I know where you're coming from on that. I mean, I've definitely experienced that in the past with Logitech software. It has gotten better and it and you don't have to use it. I mean, it's not great, but it is it, it at least works and you don't have to be in it all the time, so I don't mind having it. Yeah. And then the last question because I know people will be curious, how does it compare to the Magic Keyboard in your experience? I mean, have you used a Magic Keyboard recently and What's the feel? Yes. Uh, I like it. A, I like it. A, I like it better. Um, I like it because it's got a little bit more action in the keys. They feel maybe a little more stable. I also just kind of like the uh, the size of the keys and the convex, you know, shape of the, of the yeah. keycaps. Yes. Yeah. So it, you know, it's it's similar to that in that they kind of have a shallow profile, but it's a feels a little more substantial than your typical magic keyboard i i do use a magic keyboard too and it's been you know for the longest time that's been my main keyboard and i like it a lot i keep one you know in i i keep one for using with my ipad an awful lot so uh but this is starting to replace that it's, the only thing is is that it's pretty large and heavy so this is not the kind of thing that you're gonna throw in a bag and take with you you know if you're using your ipad uh it's the kind of thing that stays on a desk well, I'll tell you one thing that this solves that the Magic Keyboard doesn't is the, those multiple Bluetooth radios because a lot right. of us have an iPad on our desk. And wouldn't it be great if you could use one keyboard to drive all that stuff, you know? Yeah, it's great. And because it's, you know, it, because it's wireless and rechargeable, I just pick it up off my desk, move somewhere else in my house with my, with my iPad and press a button and it's connected really instantly to the iPad. It's been, been really nice that way. Well, John, once again, I'm sure you're going to cost a bunch of us some money. <laughs> that's part of my job really david <laughs> well this this has been fun john thank you for for joining us we appreciate you being in the catalyst minds hunting this stuff out and uh i think it's i think it's got a bright future i'm, I'm optimistic about where this stuff is going to go 
Yeah, I remain optimistic too. I mean, I think I was a little disappointed when it first debuted with Catalina, but overall, I I remain optimistic and I'm looking forward to seeing what developers do. And yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me and it's been been a lot of fun to chat. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. We're going to put links to uh, you over at Mac Stories. Any, uh, what's your Twitter handle, John? It's at John Voorhees. It's J-O-H-N-V-O-O-R-H-W-S. Well, it's great to have you on the show again. We appreciate you coming in. And uh, and like you, I am super curious to see how far Apple goes down this rabbit hole. I would love for the, cat- the Catalyst stuff to really take off because the more more apps we can put on the Mac, you know, like this uh, dictionary app, uh, look up the better. I think that's going to be good for everybody. Absolutely. All right. We are the Mac Power Users. This is episode 513, believe it or not. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Steven is over at 512pixels.net. Anything exciting going on at, at your website, Steven? Uh, I've had a couple of videos up on the YouTube channel over the last couple of weeks, and uh, one more that will be pretty uh pretty close when this one comes out so i'm on a little bit of a tear with the video work all right man maybe you need a narbox (laughs) (laughs) you you absolutely do you never know in case you know your your uh, video shed gets blown away by a tornado or something wow (laughs) i don't know i feel like if that happens the uh a smart iphone case is not the top of my list of concerns but uh, i'll take it in (laughs) advisement (laughs) Once again, thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Linode, and Hover, and we'll see you next week.